This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 369. Dun, 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 give it to me one more time. Get low, get low, get to the... Not a child-friendly song. I'm Andrew. <laughs> I'm Eric. And uh, Micah isn't here this week. He's here, but he's not. He's in Chicago, but he's not on the podcast. He is supposed to hang out with Eric and I, but he has refused to give us a time. So we may not even see him. Right, Eric? Yeah. It could be here and gone, and we wouldn't have known. Was it something we said? It's nonsense. He was like, oh, we should hang out. We should hang out. And then Eric, like, straight up a few days ago, is like, all right, let's meet on this day, at this time, at this location. And Eric and Micah's like, no, can't do it. And we're like, oh, Ugh. well, let us know. So now, like, the weekend is here, and... You know, I have other plans. I do have a life, believe it or not. <laughs> Gosh, and, Andrew. Well, so um, he's probably going to give us a time, and I'm going to be like, sorry, I can't make it. I got other plans. I actually think it's going to be tomorrow afternoon. I uh, I pitched an idea to him yesterday, oh, so I think that Is that might the be. rumor? That's the rumor. The rumor is. <sighs> right in a bit of, yeah. Well, glad I've been in the loop. <laughs> anyway, we're joined by uh, two guests this week. Uh, Nassim is back. Welcome back, Nassim. It's nice to have you again. Hi, thank you very much. And uh, we're also joined by one of our patrons, Andrew. Welcome to the show, Andrew. But we're actually going to call you Andy, so there's no confusion. <laughs> that works for me. Thanks for having me. Cool. Or do you prefer Andrew cool. and we can just call Andrew Sims Andy? Oh, no. I, I let Andrew know that like I've been called Andy ever since I was like two years old. So oh, okay. It takes that me a while to respond to Andrew sometimes. <laughs> Perfect. That works out good. There's actually been a secret rule with bringing on patron guests. If somebody is named Andrew in the forum, I, I just skip over them. <laughs> so if you hadn't been completely upfront about your willingness to be called Andy, it would have been a little, you know, concerning. Three years down yeah. the road and never getting a call. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's it's good to have you on and thanks for your support over on Patreon. Let's get your fandom ID. So in one breath... Give us your favorite book, movie, Hogwarts House, Ilvermorny House, and Patronus. Okay, I've been practicing. So, <laughs> Favorite book, Goblet of Fire. Favorite movie, Goblet of Fire. Hogwarts House, Hufflepuff, Ilvermorny House, Puckwidgey, and Patronus, Irish Wolfhound. Excellent. Nice. Good job. Yeah. Practice paid off. Yeah. <laughs> um, in response to last week's episode, who's your favorite mother in the series? I mean, I have the biggest heart for Molly Weasley. I, I couldn't deny that at all. She, I wish, like, I mean, I love my mom, and I would love for her to be my Wizarding World mom, kind of like she was to Harry. Aww. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. Give it up for Molly Weasley and Andy's mom. <laughs> Plus, she's the only mom in the book that swore, which kind of won my heart, too. Oh, yeah. yeah kind of the 11th hour there, but she yeah. <laughs> And uh, in this week's episode, we are going to be talking about the Battle of Hogwarts in honor of the 20th anniversary that we recently passed over. What death hit you hardest in Death, Lee Hollows? So when I got the book, I was reading it side by side with my friend, and I'm a bit of a faster reader. And I got to this part when Hedwig died, and I, like, gasped. And mm. my friend just looks at me and goes, if you say a word, I swear. <laughs> but I, like, literally had to leave the room because I was so distraught when Hedwig died. Oh, yeah. did you cry? Uh, I won't deny that I cried a little bit. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, should I deny this? Uh, no. He uh, <laughs> was sad. It tore my heart. I was just yeah. like, the innocence was just, like, done. It was just, yeah. 
was I think J.K. Rowling said when she was asked about that death, she said it marked the end of Harry's childhood. So after that, I was like, okay, I get that. Yeah. But still sad. Also, imagine taking care of Hedwig in the tent. Like, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She won't stop screeching. We don't have enough worms for her. Um, Yeah, I mean, she couldn't have flown freely around, that's for sure. All the droppings, it would not yeah. have worked. Uh, Ron yeah. would have become no. weakened very quickly. <laughs> Somebody's on Hedwig's, uh, on Horcrux duty, the other person's on Hedwig duty, you know. Or Hedwig, Hedwig duty, is on duty. Horcrux yeah. duty. Maybe that would have worked. Oh, that would She's be so crazy. <laughs> like an evil owl, kind of like, I don't know. That'd be, That'd weird. be awesome. Delivered the yeah. letters to the wrong people yeah. on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> or at the end of the book, Hedwig kills Nagini, so it's animal on animal. I, that would be I, cool. I would have been down for that. Like that to happen. Because like, I don't know. that, Or it could have been some other animal, but yeah. Well, would it would have called it back to Fox and the Basilisk, right? Hmm? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That said, I think people yeah. are very satisfied with Neville having his moment killing Nagini, so... Crucial. Definitely. Crucial yeah. Yeah. So, before we go further, we are mentioning, uh, we are going to talk about the Battle of Hogwarts uh, this episode, as Andrew mentioned, and we'll be kind of talking about it. You know, it weighs heavily on on readers. It's, it's uh, multiple chapters long, hundreds of pages long, and a lot of characters that we care about lose their lives, we see. Um, but actually, it came to my attention earlier this week, as we were planning this document, that somebody I know, one of the listeners of our show, um, actually did uh, pass away uh, prematurely early in, in, in the real world. Um, and his name was Tommy Stizo, and he was a good friend of mine in Chicago. I actually met him at uh, a Sox game, a White Sox game, down at the cell where he was working. And he was a listener of the Game of Thrones podcast and MuggleCast for years and years and years. And just kind of introduced himself to me, and we became friends and walked around. And I, I've known him for a couple years now. And uh, I found out on Monday that um, he was in a car accident. Uh, another car rear-ended him and, and pushed his car into a it's it's very um upsetting actually uh and and of course he yeah. he was dead on the scene um and the driver who hit him had like a revoked license it was this whole thing and endangered a child as well life is short mm-hmm. and in sort of reflecting on Tommy's death i just want to caution our listeners to um you know treat life as as valuably uh as you can um, I think that's the the big yeah. takeaway. I am devastatingly sorry for for Tommy and his family, and he was engaged to be married. I met his fiance, Caitlin. She's great, um, but the, you know, a life snubbed so early is so unfair. And just yeah. all of the condolences and thoughts to Tommy's family, all of the condolences, to, you know, to our listeners who've lost somebody. Um, it's never easy and it, that happened this week. Yeah. We're thinking about Thomas and his friends and family and we're we're very sorry to hear that. But, uh, changing gears now, we want to mention that, uh, little reminder, actually, we, we haven't spoken about this in recent weeks. Eric and I are actually going to be at LeakyCon this summer. Uh, August 10th to the 12th in Dallas, Texas. It's a good old-fashioned Harry Potter conference, and uh, I know we're going to be appearing on a bunch of different panels, I think, so that'll be a lot of fun. 
Um, yeah, the, the first time this is, they've really got us booked for multiple events um, at the convention. Like, uh, I'm sure we'll do a live podcast, but there's also like um, academic sort of things like programming that we're asked to being a part of. And it's going to be probably pretty jam packed. Yeah. And a bunch of other Harry Potter podcasts are going to be there as well. Uh, you know, we're, we're old hat at this point. We're the, uh, you know, we're the old guys, but some new shows have come in over the years. Some younger, sexier shows. Have, have, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm still sexy. I, I haven't lost that about me in these 15 years. You're right, Andrew. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to presume that you weren't still sexy. Thank you, Beachbody. But, um, yeah. So uh, for more information, you can check out the LeakyCon website. Unfortunately, tickets are sold out, but we will try to share some of the content that we record there, and I'm sure Eric and I will record stuff specifically for listeners yeah. and patrons. And here's the other thing about LeakyCon. There are, um, it, it, again, tickets did sell. I mean, tickets sold out the day of or within an hour of when they were going online. It was insane. But we're mentioning it because there's still um, people who bought tickets, you know, maybe bought an extra that they no longer need and stuff. And if you look on certain, you know, websites or forums, there may still be some tickets that you can find, like, or ask your friends, ask around. You may still be able to get to uh, the convention if you really want to go. So just take a look around. If you're, if it seems like something you're interested in, Dallas, Texas, August uh, 10th to the 12th, I believe. Yep. And um, it's right. You may. May still be a small opportunity uh, window for you to join us. Mm-hmm. It kicks off on my mom's birthday. Oh, look at Happy that. birthday, mom. Oh, what are you up Happy to? Birthday, oh, I'm in Texas for a Harry Potter conference. Oh, of course you are. <laughs> Have a good day. Bye. I'm celebrating for you with a lot of people. <laughs> Hundreds of people are here celebrating your birthday. I'm drinking with other Harry Potter fans, mom. Just make sure something nice gets delivered to her house that day. I will. I will. Uh, <laughs> it would be a really fun, like, we could do, like, a video of a whole room saying happy Aww, birthday. Aw, that'd be cute. That'd be cool. Now we have to do that. We put it into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> She'll listen, like, a year from now. And be like, Andrew, yeah. why didn't you do Mom, that? Mom, it takes you that long to listen to my podcast? <laughs> anyway, uh, we do have a couple news items to talk about. First of all, uh, we mentioned a few months ago a few weeks ago i don't know that uh the tales of beetle the bard was getting an illustrated edition and uh the covers plural were revealed this past week interestingly the u.s and the uk are getting different covers this diverts from uh harry potter one two and three and fantastic beasts those illustrated editions all getting the same covers not sure why they're different but um they're beautiful covers and uh actually let's kick it off here with a voicemail from uh, somebody who called in about these. Hi, Mugglecast. It's Karishma. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but uh, I think Pottermore just introduced the UK cover for uh, the Tales of Beetle the Bard. Um, And I believe it was Chris Riddell who um, illustrated them. I just wanted to know your thoughts on the artwork because I absolutely um, love the artwork for this and this is something that I could actually see myself buying because it looks a lot like um, a tarot card deck which I'm really inter- uh, I'm really into doing um, and reading tarot cards so it's a, it's a really cool looking book and it, I just wanted to know your thoughts. Cool, thanks. Bye. So Karishma, very positive about the UK one by Chris Riddell. That is a good point. It does look tarot cardy. Yeah, 
It's very interesting. Chris Riddell, this is the, this name I keep hearing and he's actually a well-loved, it turns out, I mean, Bloomsbury, obviously they chose the right guy for the job. He's a well-known illustrator of children's um, artwork for books and editions. And I'm actually looking, I'm on his website. He's got a WordPress and his art is really quite something. Um, in fact, I think he does. I'm looking now at a Sleeping Beauty he's doing, which is actually really interesting. Um, he's also famous for a picture of a fish on a bicycle. So I think he's got the the fantastic elements down to be the best Beetle the Bard illustrator yet. Um, but the cover is very much uh, as our as our voicemailer said. It's um, very colorful, which I appreciate. Um, oh, and I really gotta be really honest, Eastern, the Eastern tone to it. Very interesting. Yes. It's not a very um, Harry Pottery cover, dare I say, though, is it, Nassim? No, but I feel like they're going for kind of Arabian Nights kind of tone. I thought the same of, thing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the role of uh, the Tales of Beetle the Bard anyway in the books. So I really like that. And I like how international it is. Although... Yeah, they, don't they kind of look like girls though? I mean, that's, that's a horrible thing to say, but like, if these Wait are the minute, three they? brothers, they really look like young women to me. I guess they just didn't want to give them mustaches. Oh no. my god! Wait a minute. Wait. Oh, are these those the are three absolutely brothers? women? Wait, I thought the three brothers were off on the side in the blue. Yeah. Oh, okay. So who are the three in the middle? Uh, it's the fountain story, isn't oh, it? Oh, okay. Sorry, okay. I was like, I thought these were three <laughs> he switched the. I was like, wow, gender swapping. Pull to Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So that that is, I I do love the brighter colors of the book, um, and then the U.S. cover is actually very different. This is by Lisbeth Zerger. Zerger. Um, yeah. It's like a moon or some sort of orb. And the characters of the various tales are circling the orb, yeah, including the hopping pot, the the rabbit, death. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, I, I kind of prefer the U.S. one because it's simpler. It just feels more Wizarding World to me. This will be interesting to get both uh versions i you know i want to see that how the different art styles of these two different vastly different artists um combine to influence the way that the story uh sounds and is read yeah myself looking at them it's the the u.s edition looks more like it's catered towards adults like an adult would be more likely to pick it up whereas the uk version looks more child-friendly I yeah. feel like. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the UK edition is more childlike because which I agree, because um it reminds me of something that you'd see in the children's section at an American bookstore. Definitely. Like, I grew up with art, you know, that was very much like this. It almost reminds me of a coloring book, the UK's yeah. cover. Because it's mm-hmm. so colorful. I think that's yeah, why I it, like it. I want to color it. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do yeah. really like the skeleton with the cape following the rabbit. I just want to like crop that. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> On the US one, yeah. Oh, that man. is that is that poor bunny. So terrified. <laughs> Death is coming for the rabbit. Yeah. Oh, it's uh so these will be available this fall there will not be the goblet of fire illustrated edition this fall because he has more time to work on that one jim k that's right 
that will be out fall 2019, which we spoke about a few weeks ago. It's a good thing. So he has more time to really give it all the details it deserves. Right. Little other news. Um, more Funkos are coming. We just wanted to briefly mention this. They've been doing a series of... Uh, they've been doing waves of Funkos. And now that now this new one has uh, Nearly Headless Nick, which is actually super cool. Because <laughs> it looks translucent. It's got Harry, Ron, and Hermione. There's a new trio pack where they're pulling out the, um, you know, those things. The mandrakes. Yeah. Then Diary Riddle. Big, big Diary Riddle, who's like um, black and white from yeah. old timey. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Nearly Headless Nick, actually. I'm wondering, though... Because Funko has gone from doing bobbleheads to non-bobbleheads. I wonder if the nearly headless Nick will be a bobblehead or how his head is just kind of... It looks like it's not being held on by much, just that sinew, just like in the book. So I wonder mm-hmm. if... It, I hope his head will, will stick on his, his Funko. I, I'd hate to always be losing his head. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll bobble vertically, I guess. I really like it. It's so cute. Yeah. They also have a giant Dobby. It's like two to three times the size of a normal Funko, which is kind of backwards. It's like, why is Dobby big? I know they have a big Hagrid already, but like Dobby's small. So why should he be be big compared to my other ones? Um, you know what? It's he's holding a sock. I looked at it, so maybe it's when he becomes free. He's like, um, like his spirit is unleashed and his heart is three <laughs> sizes bigger, and he's like, y- like you know, like he's. It's free. They also have a basilisk, which is going to be large. Yeah, this is a six-inch pop. That one's pretty cool, too. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I I think Funkos are continually a bankable kind of, you know, always you can always rely on them to be cute. Have you guys hit your limit, though? Like, I feel like I have enough Funkos. Yeah, it's true. I don't feel tempted anymore because I have so many. I only have so much shelf space. At this point, I'm just buying characters that I really, really love. Well, that's why they have these Funko Minis now, <laughs> which are these tiny. Oh, so you can fit more in less space for, just, for shelf space. I've just made a pact with myself to not buy any of them. So if I get one, it's as a gift. So I can put it like on a wish list or something. But otherwise, uh, I don't trust myself. I got a Wonder Woman one, but so far, my efforts to get people to get me them haven't worked out for me. <laughs> I'll get you one this Christmas if I'm oh your God. secret Santa. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm the same thing. I've ne- I haven't gotten any of the Harry Potter Funkos, but I know that once I buy one, it's it's like potato chips. You got to keep yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. All right. So um, we're going to talk about the Battle of Hogwarts today, the 20th anniversary, uh, 20th fictional anniversary just passed by. Feels like it was yesterday. I, I really can't believe 20 years has gone by so quick but before we cheated, that though we, we cheated because it's only been like 11 years since the book came out right 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 yeah but even but then it's still crazy life, it's been 11 years in real yeah. life it's been 20 years <laughs> <laughs> that's what matters um be, before we talk about the battle of hogwarts specifically um and this is a good transition last week we were talking about the mothers and one who we didn't bring up was tonks mm. and yeah, we may have forgotten, but also we really don't see her as a mother. And unfortunately, she gave birth to Teddy just a month before the Battle of Hogwarts. So right. poor Teddy didn't get any time at all with his parents. And um, when I was rereading the Battle of Hogwarts, there was this interesting moment where she said she had a choice between staying at home or fighting. Here's the quote. Harry looked at Tonks. 
I thought you were supposed to be with Teddy at your mother's. She replies, I couldn't stand not knowing. Tunks looked anguished. She'll look after him. Have you seen Remus? So she decided in that, so she couldn't bear to be at home while the Battle of Hogwarts was going on. Was that the right decision when you have a month-old baby? Uh, well, my, my question is, my problem with this, um, and I've just reread those chapters as well, is uh, her reason for coming is basically, it's the same, it's the same reason Ginny Weasley gives her parents for staying. Like, she would be a wreck if she's at the borough and every single one of her family members, you know, her six brothers and her mom and her dad are all fighting at Hogwarts. Like, nobody would want to wait at home and yeah. you know, wait for the action to help. I So I, I get it. Um, that said, Tonks, like, this is, you know, not that she doesn't have six brothers and a mother and father in the battle, so she can't come, but, you know, it is just her husband, and does she, you know, is she really being neglectful of the kid? As we know that she dies and is unable to raise the kid. Mm -hmm. So, you know, was it the right call? I don't know. What I don't like most about it, though, is that once she has appeared at Hogwarts, all semblance of her individuality, of her badass aurorism, is thrown out the window um, by J.K. Rowling. As I was uh, reading this last night, it was actually quite painful because Harry sees her a couple more times uh, before she dies, and she's always just asking about where Lupin is. She asks Kingsley if he's seen Lupin. She asks, uh, I think Aberforth tells her where he is. She's just kind of reduced to this wife role this subservient wife role. She's not arriving at the, at Hogwarts to be like, all right, I'm going to help some Hufflepuffs kick some ass. Here we go. You know, she's kind of unfortunately driven by her emotions here and it brings her here. And I think ultimately that may have distracted her and prevented her from, uh, not just surviving, but, you know, making as much of an impact as perhaps that character could have. Yeah. My mom is like, we read the book at the same time and, I remember her being really upset about this because as a mother, she was like, that is not responsible. She shouldn't have done that. Um, so, I mean, none of us are moms, I believe. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe it helps to like know what a mom thinks. But it's kind of interesting that Harry is always the one giving them like sane advice about parenting <laughs> and both Remus and Tonks are just so terrible at this. It's really frustrating to see. Yeah. Like, what do you think, Andy? Did the uh, Tonks make the right decision? Uh, I want to say no, just because, I mean, you, ha we have not to say that Tonks is a very skilled witch and, you know, for her to, to go there and battle and want to do that. I totally understand where she's coming from. It's part of her personality but at the end of the day, you have a one-month-old at home who could potentially grow out, grow up without his parents, and that ended up happening. And it's just, it's great for the kid to grow up knowing that his parents were heroes. But uh, I don't know; it's just such a tough call. I don't. Know. I, I feel like if if she was my wife, I would have told her you absolutely have to stay at home. But yeah. and I'll take care of as much as I can. But. Um, yeah, or at least yeah. at least one of them should have stayed home. I don't care if it was Lupin or Tonks, but but sending both, that's a lot of trouble. Because at least if, God forbid, one of them were to have died, and of course they both did, um, at least the other parent is still going to be right. around. Yeah. 
I mean, Remus should have stayed maybe in this case because, like, he's not an R and he's, like, yeah. kind of always sick. I love well, do you him, think but that... <laughs> it's, it's the truth. And I don't know. I feel – but it is in character for her to have gone. And I feel like it also would have been a disservice if Rowling hadn't put her in the story at all at this point. Well, I, I think part of it is the machinations like – Rowling really, really wanted to create an orphan at the end of this book to mirror Harry's mm. story. So no matter what, Tonks and Lupin had to die. But from a character perspective, I really want to ask, like, do you guys think that they died because they found each other? Do you think that somehow they became sort of complacent when the odds became too great to be like, okay, we're together, we're all each other needed, and we're going to die on this hill? Versus if Tonks spent the rest of the battle you know, looking for Lupin and Lupin hadn't met her, you know, seen Tonks was there, would they have fought harder to get back to their loved one? Would they have fought, you know, would they have done things differently, even if it meant the death of one or two more characters who, you know, aren't named in the books? But do you think they would have fought harder to stay alive versus leaving this world without seeing their loved one again do you think it was almost almost made them complacent that they found each other i think so i mean that definitely makes sense um because when you have like you know the adrenaline definitely kicks in when you it's like you hear those moms that lift cars off uh to protect yeah. their babies you know that adrenaline kicks in and you know you have your goal in sight is to reunite with each other so and nothing's gonna get in your way from that point but when you're with, the, when they get to that place where they meet each other, um, it's like that sense of calm comes down, and that they, their goal's been achieved. So maybe their guard was let down a bit when they were searching for one another. But I think it kind of brings that story kind of like full circle when they meet, end up, you know, dying together. But yeah, yeah, and we don't really get the details in the book, but the movie does lead us to believe that they died together because, you know, they kind of reach out to each other. There's that quick shot. And yeah. I think that's the last shot we get of them until mm -hmm. they're dead. I mean, at least we got that in the movie because in the book we got nothing. It really upset me when I was reading. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, maybe they should have just brought Teddy and then the adrenaline on the battlefield would have kicked in to protect him. <laughs> they would have killed everyone. Teddy, Teddy might be like a, a Jack Jack from The Incredibles and like yeah. be able to like severely take awesome. down. He just you know, like that morphs into Voldemort and then nobody can hurt him. <laughs> No, but then people will go after him. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, he's uh, luckily impervious. Yeah, now yeah. that I've seen The Incredibles uh, for the first time. Uh, You're making all the references. Many, many more references, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know this movie. Though, did Tonks bring down anyone during the battle? I can't remember anything off the top of my head, but did she end up... Yeah, uh, she brought down Dalahav and Lupin brought down... another. Um, I might have that backwards. They both kill one, like big-ish Death Eater whose name is okay. heard of, um, and or or are killed by those Death Eaters. I'm gonna look this up because yeah, that definitely kind of like does counter my argument a little bit. Because who knows if they weren't there to bring down that one person that each of them did, then right. who knows how many more additional people would have died? Right, domino effect. Mm -hmm. That's why you can't mess with time. Albus and Scorpius. Uh, Lupin was killed by Dalahav, and Tonks was killed by Bellatrix Lestrange. Ooh. Uh, so we don't know who they killed. We don't know who Lupin and uh, Tonks themselves 
killed. But yeah, Bellatrix, man, killed another <laughs> killed another relative of hers. Andromeda has lost way. everything because of Bellatrix. It's Bell- crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk more about the Battle of Hogwarts now. Um, J.K. Rowling commemorates it every year and apologizes for a death. <laughs> apologizes for a death. She's done that four years in a row now, and uh, we thought this would be a good thing to talk about since we just hit the big two zero fictionally. Um, it was interesting reading it again eleven years later, and I actually wanted to make that a part of this discussion because it is crazy to believe it's been eleven years since this book came out. And I'm not sure, I may have read it once since originally reading it, but just to give my overall thoughts on rereading, and I'd like to hear everybody else's reading it again later, it's very nerve-wracking to read this because there's so much happening, and J.K. Rowling really pulls every punch. She she is killing people left and right, and just like in the case of Tonks and Lupin, she has no problem killing people without any sort of buildup. Just Harry walks in and there are two more dead bodies of two people that he loved. And that is war, I think, as Chia said herself. But um, man, it's brutal and scary because you could just turn one page, you can just hop down one paragraph and suddenly somebody's dead with absolutely no warning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the classic example too is um, Fred's death. You know, they have this huge success uh, destroying the diadem. It just happens that Fiendfire kills it. And, you know, Harry's elated. He's like, man, now we just have to get the snake. And, you know, they stumble upon Percy and Fred who are backed into a corner. And there's this uh, fight. But within three paragraphs of the diadem being destroyed, all of a sudden Fred is dead. And you're just like, wow, that was such a, a roller coaster of emotion right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've read the seventh book, I want to say at least three or four times. And the first time I read it, you know, you go through all the emotions, but each subsequent time I've read it, it's like I've grown to accept it more and realize, yes, some of these things just kind of needed to be done. Um, but yeah, it just, it really plays with your emotions because you've grown with these books for so many years and you love all of these characters so much. And even the minor ones that, come up like Colin Creevy um, and it's just they don't they don't play as big of a role as other characters but you feel like you know them like you've you've kind of grown up with them with the books so yeah it's hard yeah, and this is a th- it helped me kind of see how well the movies did this part um, I mean I am kind of upset that we didn't get more Remus and Tonks but that wasn't even in the book so that the movie actually did a great job and just the way they kind of mixed lots of the scenes in the movie and made it work anyway and I don't feel like it lost any of sub- any of the substance I feel like it was a really good adaptation yeah, yeah. um reading this 11 years later for me I really appreciate a lot more than I think I did originally like how well everything that's going on is blended because Harry is on this quest to find the diadem for the, for the longest time during the battle. Um, He doesn't have Ron and Hermione by his side. He can't find them. It starts getting to him for like, it's like an hour and a half where he spends it without, you know, Hermione and Ron, but the way that, that JK Rowling is able to weave all of the battle, the teachers preparing the school, 
all of that into Harry's own journey of, you know, arguing whether or not Ginny can stay, um, and then and then going off and 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 the backstory of you know meeting the Grey Lady, seeking out Nick. All this stuff plays out on a huge, massive, grand scale, but it's really like deftly handled. How all you can go all of a sudden from one major, major thing to another huge, major thing, and the audience doesn't get it. Doesn't it's not like um, there's no whiplash, you know? Like I think the book is is extraordinarily smooth at transitioning between this is Harry's personal journey and this is what's going on around it. Mm-hmm. And even reading it so many years later now as an adult, like when I was reading this 11 years ago, I was 18. Harry, Ron, Hermione were close to my age. Now I'm an adult reading about these kids and I'm like, these are kids (laughs) doing this. And that's actually one of the questions I wanted to bring up. Uh, There is a moment right before the, the battle itself happens, starts in the Battle of Hogwarts chapter uh, McGonagall says anyone who is, quote, of age can fight. Um, was that right? Should kids be fighting in this battle? Keep in mind they're like 17, 16, 17, 18. Well, that's the of age thing, right? This is just, these are just the the laws of the wizarding world say that you're technically an adult at this age. But is it right for them to fight in a war at this age? No, but but ultimately what she achieves by doing that is getting rid of the underage, right? Like she's setting an age limit that's very easily respected and and enforceable by just being like, well, you guys are underage. The equivalent would be like, you can't vote, so you don't get to stay, you know? And think about the real world. Who goes to war? 18-year-olds. Yeah, but there's like time to think about it, prepare yourself. The parents know. I just felt not. The, I don't want to say. I don't really have an opinion strongly either way, right? Because I think it is a very tough decision, and McGonagall is acting in the moment. But I, I, if I was a parent, I would have been concerned. <laughs> but the yeah. thing is, is your, your parents. Once you're of age, that's that's the thing, though. You have to transition yourself into that role of the decision maker for your life. You know, it's the same thing I see in the hospital all the time is that once somebody turns 18, you're responsible for your own decisions. And um, I think that McGonagall treated them as adults and said, look, you have an option. Nobody's going to judge you if you don't want to. uh, But if you want to join us, you know, you're welcome to stand alongside me. And I I think it was definitely warranted. And at this point, um, Neville and Seamus and, like, all of these people have been taking care of the Hogwarts and keeping kids alive. I feel like it was just natural for them to be there. And if she had said that they couldn't, then Harry wouldn't have been allowed to be there. And it's just very complicated. I feel like they couldn't (laughs) have won at all if they hadn't um, used, you could say, the overage kids, which is sad, but... Yeah, that's That's why it's so bold is there's this like for McGonagall, again, she gets rid of all the underage, which is the right call. Like, yes, children have no business fighting a battle. Some of them still do. We see Ginny, even though she's underage, she's with um, 
So, yeah, I think it might actually be Tonks uh, shooting spells somewhere. She sneaks out despite what she promised her parents about staying put and is still fighting. And obviously, uh, Mr. Creevy was was in the fray somewhere as, as well. I know, I know. But there's this threat of we need as many people as we can get. Um, in fact, and, and interestingly, when they're setting up the castle, even I think it's Flitwick, uh, says, you know, there's no spell that can keep Voldemort out indefinitely. Um, he says these defenses will fall, but we can buy you some time, Potter. And that's sort of interesting to me because I'm wondering, like, Really, I mean, these are great witches and wizards. These are professors of Hogwarts and, you know, the headmistress. What would, you know, what is it about Voldemort that they really can't keep him out, um, you know, indefinitely? Like, what what is that about Voldemort that makes him so badass? But there is this very rushed <laughs> sense of we can only buy time and then we will have to fight, you know, for our lives. Um, and right. it's very, very, it gives them a great deal of pressure to have enough numbers on their side, which is why I think it's an easy call to say, if you're of age, you can make the choice because that's how just the law works. And it's you... something I've actually thought about as well. I mean, does each witch or wizard have like an equal amount of magical, uh, power within them? And then it just takes your mind to be able to unlock that power. Or do some people have like a more charged up battery throughout their lives. And maybe Voldemort was just one of those people, but he I'm a, also I'm stop loved- you right there. Are oh. you thinking of uh, Hogwarts mystery terms here where you have more energy? <laughs> than the, <laughs> the, the, when you said built up battery, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do we have a Hogwarts mystery game player here? <laughs> I, I do. Honestly, I'm, and I'm very far in the game. Oh God. I'm sorry for interrupting. Please no, go on. No, that's not at all. Not at all. So, uh, yeah, that's just something I've always wondered about is that uh, – because I know that Voldemort you know, loved the magical world, loved being pulled out of his original life and what he was brought into. So maybe his mind just honed in on his um, magical power uh, just early on in his childhood and he's just – because he's so much more in tune with it. Um, than other witches and wizards, it's really hard to hold someone like him back. Uh, and Dumbledore might have been the one person that could have. Right. Uh, but I w- I'm not sure exactly how it works or, um, you know, maybe his energy bar has a max of 500, whereas mine only has 30 in the game. But, you know, I'm not sure. But <laughs> I think that's probably it. Everybody else will have to run out of energy and pay to play. <laughs> While Voldemort can just keep going because he's got the cheat codes. Yep, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like an Anakin Skywalker situation, you know, like he was, he had a lot of power and he was manifesting it when he was very young. Yeah. um, So that's why Dumbledore was worried about him from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, And then on the flip side of that is somebody like Credence who has the magical power, but doesn't know really how to harness it, how, how to use it, what to do with it. He's a, he's been, brought up to be ashamed of it um so he unlike voldemort he's gonna be stunted in his development i think and but and then credence is a a perfect example too because at uh, by the same token he is able to be that age and have survived with the obscurus be a part of him like that means he's actually an incredible uh incredibly talented 
wizard uh, or a strong wizard for the Obscurus not to have killed him at this point, because most Obscurials don't survive past age 11, and he's presumably 17, 18, 19. So I do think, based on Credence alone, you can infer that there are stronger wizards. They're just plain, simple, there are stronger mm-hmm. wizards. And also, going back to what you were saying about Flitwick, I was reading the chapters right before the Battle of Hogwarts, and there's a very clear difference in McGonagall's attitude towards Harry when like when he first arrives and when he says he's on Dumbledore's orders. Yeah. I think it's a part of like they were they have been preparing for some kind of showdown for a long time, but the reason they trust Harry so implicitly is because they feel like he is kind of carrying Dumbledore's legacy. So they would mm-hmm. act with him the way that they would have acted if Dumbledore had been there and told them that they were going to fight. That's a really good point. Another thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm on the fence about this too, is the scene with um, Harry and his friends versus Draco and his friends in the room of requirement. Yeah. Um, It's a great scene as Harry searches for the diadem and Draco's trying to stop him from getting it. But, Harry, in a moment that I think surprised everybody, it even surprised me rereading it, (laughs) is just how quickly he decides that he needs to save Draco and Goyle when the Fiendfire gets out of control. This was shocking to me because even in Draco's, what would have been his final moments, if Harry let him die, he was trying to stop Harry from defeating Voldemort. Voldemort would have reigned if Draco did stop him. And yet here's Harry saving Draco's life. I know Harry is a good person. I know this is a lesson of the books to be good right, through everything. Right. But wow, this is a remarkable moment of courage where he's he's letting arguably his arch enemy, other than Voldemort, in this book, uh, you know, deciding to save him. But this is a this is frustrating. You're right. I don't know. I feel like they grew up together. I mean, say he did all these horrible things, but they also grew up together. Draco is the first person Harry has a conversation with that is his own age in the Wizarding World, and their fights were usually just petty things in the beginning. I feel like there's still some kind of relationship there, um, and. I don't think Harry in any world would have let Draco die, but I also don't think Ron would have or any of the others really if it came down to it. Um, And also, at this point, Harry has been somewhat saved by Draco before because Draco didn't say that it was Harry when they were at Malfoy Manor. I agree. And, And yet... And yet here he is allowing not only these brutes who he cannot control, Crab and Goyle, in. And, and they, of course, you know, what's it matter if we kill Harry? Voldemort wants him dead anyway. You know, he can't control his friends. And he's here to basically still try and escort Harry to Voldemort, which is not a, a very positive thing. Draco is still lost in this moment. He's still lost unsure what his role is in this battle and he's towing the line and just you know he's gonna confront harry in the 11th hour this is so frustrating 
because right before they got in here, Harry was running with arms outstretched to the diadem. It was this huge reveal, really the upswing of this chapter, which is called the Battle of Hogwarts. Harry is running towards the diadem. He finally knows what it is, where it is. There's a beautiful backstory with Voldemort. And, you know, all of a sudden he's stopped by not at first. It's just, the, you know, his old school rivals. Oh, big deal. But then Crab is it that, that you know, conjures this unstoppable fire. And you're just like, man, what a setback. This yeah. is just this is so frustrating. And so, yeah, when Harry dives to save, you know, Draco and 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 uh, Goyle, it's you do feel kind of like it's ridiculous because Harry shouldn't even be ha- having to do this, right? Like this is this is the the last straw of you know trying to do the right thing in the midst of so much, you know. He still has to vanquish evil. That's the priority: is the the diadem, not Draco and Crab and Goyle. I also want to say though, I think like Harry's opinion of Malfoy maybe started to change a little bit. Like towards the end of the sixth book, just kind of seeing him really struggle when he confronted Dumbledore and then throughout the seventh book, you know, hesitating to like turn Harry in. And I think maybe Harry could sense that like Draco was flirting with the line a little bit and not really, you know, maybe, maybe wanting himself to change. And I mean, Harry's a good person. We know that. I want to say if I was in his shoes, I would have done the same thing. But, you know, yeah. I think I think that they're really – and it's like Nassim said, you know, they've grown up together. So maybe he's, he saw that negative personality starting to change and um, that heroicness inside of him told him that he needed to, to save him. Yeah, and just wants to believe that Draco will turn good. And Harry's instincts are right. I mean, he does turn into a better person. We yeah. we see him in the epilogue. Uh, not really. I don't. I don't think he's hating on Harry. And then, of course, in the Cursed Child, they team up, and yeah. they are they are friends. Well, short term results are that he is able to. Harry is able to tell Narcissa that Draco is fine, uh, which causes her to lie for him, True. and that saves Harry's life. So that's an immediate short term huge reward. Not that Harry could have predicted it. Um, but Harry would have been in a position to lie to Narcissa about Draco being okay if he hadn't saved his life, and that would have put him in a, a pickle. And I also, think. um, Harry has always compared Draco to Dudley. That has always been kind of the parallel. And mm. I feel like in in Deathly Hollows, he truly forgives Dudley and you know, they kind of they're able to move on. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing that happens with Draco here. And he's seen the family situation, um, what's going on with Lucius and Narcissa right now. And even Crab talks like talks back to Malfoy in this scene, which is has never happened before. But he's yeah. like, Who cares what you think? I don't take your orders no more. You and your dad yeah, are your, finished. your family is second rung now. Like, yeah. yeah. And I think that helps. I think that reminder helps. And also the whole reason Draco's even able to get into that room is because he practically lived there the year before. That's what he tells Harry. And, yeah. And that brings up all of the emotions of how lonely and isolated Draco was feeling. And I think it does appeal to the good person in Harry. Um, having that reminder that this was really Draco's refuge. Like, um, sure, Voldemort dumped one-seventh of his soul here and sure harry dumped his potions book here and there's centuries of students that 
use this room for this purpose, but for Draco, this is his home. Like you're in you're in Draco's house right now, basically. Um, Most importantly, out of all this, if Harry had never saved Malfoy, Scorabus would have never become a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for getting that in there. (laughs) Absolutely. It had to be done. (laughs) Um, We asked our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash mugglecast, what would your role have been in defending the school? And I want the panel's answers here as well. but first, I'll read some of our patron responses. First sure. of all, Chang Ning is pretty honest. She says, I'm definitely that random person in the crowd that got killed by some random stray flying spell. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag, background char- hashtag background character. Oh, my God. <laughs> Matthew says, I am not the bravest of people. Definitely not a Gryffindor. I would see myself on a broom overseeing the battle and coordinating where people are coming and going. My companion would definitely be my broom peeves and hippogriffs that can cause distractions for students in a bind needing help to escape certain deaths if i could obtain a dragon i would fly on that and burn those on the ground like khaleesi and dragon (laughs) (laughs) ryan who uh we actually uh have gone to trivia night with here in chicago says i'd probably be up on a battlement casting wingardium leviosa on heavy objects and sending them towards death eaters at high speeds that's a good one drop some pianos on enemies (laughs) <laughs> what a way to die in the Battle of Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> Killed your by piano. Your grandfather, he was a veteran. He, he was fighting in the Battle of Hogwarts. He got killed by a piano. <laughs> <laughs> Nassim, what would you do? What would your role be? Would you <laughs> Would you get involved? It really depends. Do I go straight from like my normal life to the battle? I probably just would be crying in a corner and maybe like <laughs> trying to throw spells and totally missing. But if I'd been like with Neville, I feel like the buildup of all that oppression and trying to help people would have made me a good warrior. And then maybe I could have been like helping Neville, you know, do whatever he's doing. I feel like I would totally be following Neville around. I'd have fallen in love or something. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Andy? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've definitely surprised myself in like high adrenaline situations. And I want to say definitely I would want to fight. But then the physician inside of me wants to say I'd also probably be with Madame Pomfrey and helping out anyone that was injured at the same yeah. time. Yeah. That's fantastic. Administering the skill grow. Yes, definitely. <laughs> How about you, Eric? It's so tempting to say that I'd like hang out with a character that I know lives. <laughs> Just be like, oh, if I'm next to McGonagall the whole time, I'll be okay. Right. Um, I know that's not how it works. But I'd, I'd like to think that if I were at Hogwarts for real, um, I would hopefully follow my house, Hufflepuff, and I would hopefully be fighting with a group of Hufflepuffs, with my head of house, uh, Helga, not Helga, Sprout, um, and it'd be with Sprout kind of helping to lob plants at people, um, off the, <laughs> off one of the towers. I think that would be, cause that's like, it's very helpful. I'm sure it took a bunch of people down. It's not, you know, I don't think you really get too much insight into, um, how successful it is, but I, I, I think that ultimately I would be with my friends fighting, fending off, uh, people i'd like to believe do you think anyone took pictures of 
Battle of Hogwarts? Because like, well, that's well, Colin Creevy, Creevy did. Yeah, Colin Creevy was there, but you know, his camera got damaged after he fell from the. Yeah, like there's no evidence that it happened. You know, you need that kind of stuff. Someone should have taken. Well, picture. certain magic leaves a permanent trace. When you were talking about Professor Sprout, for some reason, the craziest idea came in my head. Before, like, the Death Eaters came in, they should have all put on some earmuffs, held, like, a mandrake plant, waited for them to come through the door, and just pull them all out. Well, they, <laughs> they do tr- that. They, they're throwing mandrakes out the window. Oh, I think are it's, they? I, I don't I know think, why I don't yeah, remember I think, that. <laughs> it might be Ron who's like, they won't like this, um, or, or something. Yeah, like, there's a move. You're right. You're right. But how oh, disturbing my. to throw these little babies over the wall. <laughs> well, they're plants, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know. It's, <laughs> pretty rough another bad way to die <laughs> yeah defenestration uh during battle of hogwarts i would be too afraid to fight so i'd be with these people who are saying they'd fight in the back like, honestly like thank you for saying what we're all thinking like i too, <laughs> no i mean yeah. not that you'd be a coward but like i probably absolutely would be hiding i would i or, can i commentate like, yeah or, or can like try a, to um you can help try to the guard. first years leave you can help with that. Yeah. All right, kids, let's get out of here. <laughs> or guarding the um, dungeons where the Slytherins are all locked, right? Like just uh, make sure they don't get out, kind yeah. of thing. Bring uh, snacks be for everyone. Si- be that sixteen-year-old uh, that's super thankful that he does. He he's not allowed, quote unquote, to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that'd be me. I'd just turn sixteen the day before and be like, "Yep, okay." <laughs> Although, can we talk about the Slytherins, like? What a struggle for them because it's, it's their parents yeah. who are there fighting. I don't know. Well, and who wrote this a little bit further down in the dock? They were mm. choosing their loyalty in, in this scene. <clears throat> yeah, that's still so unclear for me because doesn't McGonagall march them all straight to the dungeons and not give them a choice in the matter? It Well, that does no. happen. <sighs> or like they all leave so... They leave the Great Hall, and that's a big deal because that's the moment where they do decide not to stay. But instead of leaving and then maybe being given the opportunity to come back, McGonagall directs their prefect or their head boy or whatever, and they trap them in the dungeons. They get, they, they're the first to go out because Pansy's like, well, there's Harry. Let's give him to Voldemort. Yeah. And McGonagall's like, uh, no. Yeah. But like so, everyone, that's the scene where all the underage are being let out by the head boys and prefects. And so even though all of Slytherin leaves, um, some of Ravenclaw stays, more of Hufflepuff stays, and Gryffindor half the table stays. Do they so, leave so, or do they go to the dungeons? Because that's kind of like they're they're holding them as <laughs> ransom or something. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty weird. So according uh, yeah. to like just a quick Google search, it says that Voldemort advised Lucius Malfoy that all the Malfoys, jo- or sorry, all the Slytherins joined Voldemort's side, and that was on page six forty one. I don't know how true that is. I can't. But- I'm I'm also reading that McGonagall announced all all of Slytherin House would be evacuated. Mm-hmm. Um, no Slytherins remains. So yeah, so no Slytherins. But like I don't because blame if you think- them. That's so hard. Yeah. Well, and and I don't blame McGonagall either because in this moment, there's not much time to think, and the smartest, quickest answer is, well, we don't know who to trust in Slytherin, so let's just get rid of them all. Right. Let's um, keep them all out. And I and I think people, you mentioned like these students, the Slytherins, whose 
you know, a major a, a, a portion of these students' parents are Death Eaters. You know, the the pull of blood and the pull of family um, is so strong, and I think it's almost a form of respecting that by removing the choice from Slytherins, right? By saying you don't have to choose whether or not you, an underage wizard, are going to fight for your parents, you know, or do the right thing and and be on the side of good and defend the school. We're gonna, you know, remove that opportunity from you. So you don't have to, like, you can blame me later, but it's, you know, we're not gonna have you fighting against ourselves, like fighting against us. We're just not dealing with that. I think, I think Pansy's declaration of, well, there he is, get him, kind of confirmed what McGonagall was thinking. And, you know, there's no Snape there to really defend Slytherin's integrity, and Sl- Slughorn is not interested. Um, in kind of making a stand against that behavior. Patrons, thank you for submitting your answers. There's plenty more, so I encourage everybody to go and read those over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. Um, so yeah, w- what did co- good come out of the Battle of Hogwarts? Uh, the Slytherin House did choose its loyalty. Um, you know, there wasn't... there there With Voldemort gone, <laughs> there was no more of a divide. There was no more. Well, we're pure bloods, and only pure blood should be be at the school, be in the wizarding world. I, I think, yeah, the fall of Voldemort really creates an opportunity for rebirth in the school. And although we don't see it represented in the Cursed Child so much, um, because for conveniences of plot, the rivalry between Gryffindor and Slytherin is still a thing. Um, I but think in a realistically, friendly way. yeah, I think realistically. Um, there would be a lot more unity and McGonagall would have a chance to oversee a real blending of, you know, the body of the, the students and really kind of see a, a new, you know, kind of fruitful existence at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. It's, but it also, I don't, I wouldn't say that there would be no divide because then you have the heroes and the villains. And we also see that in Cursed Child, although I don't know if I count that, but, um, I feel like it would be a very slow process because you have to heal all that trauma and all those kids who were being tortured and stuff like that. There's a lot to Mm -hmm. fix, but ultimately it would be probably good for the school. That's actually a good point about kids who were by when the Caros were in charge. Um, They had the, can you imagine? Yeah. The first years, second years, what their whole introduction to Hogwarts was Hogwarts in a time of great oppression and those who've yeah. lost friends, like you said. Definitely. And that's why I'm asking this question, what good came out of this? Because there was a hell of a lot of bad, losing so many people, the school being destroyed, um, all in the name of defeating Voldemort, which luckily did happen. Um, somebody else wrote here, Professor McGonagall did become the new headmistress. That was me. <laughs> that's a great one. Professor McGonagall, I mean, she kicked ass during the Battle of Hogwarts. Of course, Totally amazing scene do your duty to the school just love that <laughs> oh i love that scene i love that scene and like, i know i said that molly weasley was like my favorite mom in the beginning but I, I don't know if professor mcgonagall was ever a mom but i see her as like the mom of everyone at hogwarts so she was probably like my second runner-up yeah or my first runner-up awesome. yeah that's a great point because a few months ago we spoke about like these poor teachers they're always at school they don't have a personal life and I don't think we ever found anything about McGonagall being a mom. No, she's yeah. not. Or any of the other. In Pottermore, 
they put a bunch of information about her. She, yeah, she wasn't able to marry the person she loved. Hmm. It's pretty so sad. sad. Yeah. But they also so, had, they also were able to, like, probably repaint Hogwarts or, like, <laughs> do some good interior design after all that Well, we got to rebuild it anyway, so let's remodel. Yeah. Added some new wings. Like an astronomy tower. Well, you would think they added, like, tribute towers, like the Dumbledore Tower, the Severus Snape Tower. The Dumbledore Tower. How sad is that? The, well, okay, maybe a tower wouldn't be a good good one to do for him, but, like, a, a classroom named after Dumbledore. Yeah, Dumbledore Hall. Oh, I the like Snape that. Boat, the Severus Snape Boathouse. <laughs> I'm wondering, though, like, if Professor McGonagall did become the headmistress who took over Gryffindor House, like, the head of house. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they have to bring Neville in for transfiguration. Yeah. Yeah, probably Neville. Doesn't he go teach, or am I just using my own head? Yeah, he becomes a herbology teacher. Probably not like the very next day, but I I think no. (laughs) Within 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 a couple years, yeah, for sure. Was it ever mentioned that another teacher was a Gryffindor as well, or? I don't know. I can't think of any. It's a good question. The yeah, I don't know. The fat lady became the. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Just carry her painting around. <laughs> Maybe just Professor looking in, I don't think J.K. Rowling has ever said who became Transfiguration teacher after McGonagall left that position. According to the wiki, it is unknown. I think Hermione should have become head of house. She's a total McGonagall. Yeah, well, we know she goes back, so she's a seventh year student the next year. Um, so she has the answers. Maybe she's at like the uh, acting head of house, even though she's like a seventh year. Like yeah, like an honorary, like a new, like a not a head boy or head girl or prefect, but like a acting head. Of, I like that idea a lot. Wait, you're sure about that? Hermione went back to school. Yeah, yeah she it did. Was said. Yeah. Wow, well, I forgot about that. Rowling says it's not in the book. Rowling says it later. Oh, okay. <laughs> and. <laughs> 19 years later, Hermione's still going to Hogwarts because she just can't <laughs> quit it. Making up those classes that she uh, n- neglected to complete during the uh, year of camping. <laughs> Hermione, it's really time to go. No. Can you imagine being at Hogwarts and having like a 30-year-old sitting next to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would bring up some concerns. Well, I'm 30, yeah. so... And I'm, I'm 30 and I want to go to Hogwarts, so I don't... <laughs> Nobody better look at me funny. No lies, I'd do the same thing. They just start a new house for all the adults who don't want to leave. Huh, the house of awesome. <laughs> well, this has been fun. Uh, to wrap this up, how about we do some Battle of Hogwarts trivia? Our quizmaster Eric, I think, prepared a couple questions. Yes, I do. Who's feeling lucky about uh, uh, Battle of Hogwarts trivia? Anybody in particular? Oh, God. I'm Call scared. me Domino, because I'm feeling lucky. Oh, look at that. Okay, That's Andrew. A Deadpool 2 reference, <laughs> now in theaters. Oh, man. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it last night. Oh, okay, cool. I think I'm just going to go see it alone, because I, I feel like it's too rude to go with my family, and I'm visiting them now, so I'm just going to be like... <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't see that with my mom. <laughs> Definitely not. I'm just going to go alone. All right, Good. so here's here's what I think is the uh, hardest question I was able to come up with so far. Um, oh God! And this is this is mentioned in the Battle of Hogwarts chapter. Uh, what are the three tallest towers at Hogwarts School? Ooh, uh, 
Is the Allery one of them? No. So Astronomy the, Tower? So, well, so uh, Professors Flitwick, Sprout, and McGonagall take groups of fighters up to each of the three highest towers, and they're called out by name. Um, Wait, yeah. do we all answer, or is this for one person? Well, well this is just for Andrew, but I guess, thanks. you know, if Andrew doesn't know, we can all answer. Yeah, I don't, I, well, yeah, like Andy said, the Astronomy Tower, is that one of them? The Astronomy Tower is one of them. I'm going to say... Oh, I think it's one of the houses. I want to say Ravenclaw was one. Ravenclaw is one of them. Yes. Uh, Gryffindor's in a tower. Is Gryffindor the other? Yeah, Gryffindor's the other. It's kind of weird. The two tallest towers. Well, I mean, the Astronomy Tower is the tallest tower. That's the one Dumbledore fell from, and the ride at Universal will be uh, opening next summer. Um, Very excited. Yeah, super excited. (laughs) They let Andrew in on that exclusive because he came up with it. And I think he's getting a, a cut of the pay, cut of admissions. Uh, I can't discuss that. My attorney said, oh, yeah. I can't, but let's just say I'm, I'm, I don't need muggle cast anymore. But the, uh, oh, okay. Well, we'll, oh God. Um, that'll be a day when we come, come upon that. Um, the astronomy tower is the tallest, but Ravenclaw and Gryffindor are the two next tallest towers. And those are the ones where, um, Sprout and, uh, you know, students and everybody are, are lobbing every spells and, uh, otherwise off of those towers. So that's that question. Um, Nassim, you want to go next? Okay, sure. Okay. Um, would you like a question about Ravenclaw or a question about Slytherin? Ravenclaw. I'm a Ravenclaw. Okay. All right. Where specifically was the lost diadem of Ravenclaw hidden by Helena Ravenclaw? Oh, where it was hidden by her. By her, um, not by Voldemort. Where did, where did she hide it? it hidden inside a tree? Yes. Okay. Where was the tree? In a forest? <laughs> Where was the forest? Um, okay, this is... Phone I... a friend. Phone me. Okay. <laughs> do, 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 do. Andrew? Okay. Uh, You're Skyrim. Was... Like in Albania or something? <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, in Albania. That's it. Inside it a hollowed out tree in, a, in Albania. This is actually Sorry, a cool Andrew. revelation in the Battle of Hogwarts. Um, Harry sort of just comes to the conclusion... Oh, after Voldemort finds the diadem, he remembers what like a good place, a good hiding spot the the diadem was in, and then that's why he was in Albania for the ten years that he is without a body. Um, so it's kind mm-hmm. of really cool there. Like if you'd yeah. come to one wrong conclusion, it would have all just been a mess. Y- yeah, yeah. I'd I'd like to know more about what. Rowena Raven or Helga Helena Ravenclaw's um, refuge was like in that forest. Like she probably had a pretty cool, I don't know, cabin or you know, living place tree that house. she was living in. Treehouse, yeah, kind of you know something cool, um, something very wise. Little but anyway, um, Andy, you get the next uh, Quizich Battle of Hogwarts question. Sounds good. Um, this is. A turn of phrase. What weird, although that's my term for it, British phrase does McGonagall say when a Slytherin student asks about where Professor Snape went? Do you remember what her reply is? Oh, gosh, not at all. Uh, all right, I'm going to have to phone a friend as well. Uh, Andrew Nassim, either, can, you, <laughs> can you repeat the question? Yeah, what phrase does McGonagall say when a Slytherin student asks about I just Professor read Snape? It. Didn't he say he like 
flew away. He, he it was something funny. Uh, yeah, this was a hard one. She says he has to use the common phrase "done a bunk." And yeah, I'm asking, that. how is this a common phrase at all? <laughs> I've never heard of this before. <laughs> the American editors didn't even bother to change it. I, I miss them so yeah, much. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, that, wh- I, I remember that now. When reading that, I actually had the same thought. Like, that passed the American editors? I'm surprised. Yeah, but like, they just gave up after, like, book five. They're like, here's a thousand pages of this. We can't cop. We can't. Well, they want to keep it British. I mean, Harry Potter wasn't not going to be successful because it was too british at that point so so what would it have been in america yeah i don't know so i had to google i had to google this yeah uh urban dictionary says it's to flee without permission um to escape or flee under incriminating circumstances unauthorized departure but an article from bbc america explains that bunk uh, from 19th century origin uh, means to leave. So if you say, darling, I've had enough of this cocktail party, shall we bunk? And I think it's also derived from like going to bed, you know, going to like a bunk bed. It's kind of the same etymology there. So mm-hmm. McGonagall just says he's done a bunk and it means he's left without permission. So what's the, the slang kids equivalent? Would... What would we say? Bye. Uh, hit the high, haven't hit the <laughs> hit hit the hay. G two G, T T Y L. He's pieced out, y'all. Yeah, yeah, I like pieced out. out. <laughs> he's pieced out. Yeah, I think that's probably <laughs> the term. All right. Well, that was fun talking about the uh, Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah, good discussion, y'all. R I P to all we lost. Tonks should have stayed home, or or Lupin, one of the two. All right, to wrap up today's show, we are going to listen to some voicemails. Hi, guys. This is Dave, and I'm calling to follow on the discussion that you had about one of your calls last week. I'm wondering if you think J.K. Rowling should let an American author write a story about Ilvermorny and the Wizarding World in America. Do you think fans would want a story like this? I ask this mainly because I've been working on one for the past 10 years, so I have a real vested interest in the answer to this question. I sent you a copy of my book a while back, and you mentioned it on the show, which was really cool. I was really happy to hear that, so thank you for that. Also, just so you know, that copy is a little outdated now. Now that J.K. Rowling has dipped a toe in on this side of the pond, I think it would be a great time for her to test out the expanded universe idea like Star Wars did. If it's something fans really want, I think expanded Potter Universe stuff could be used to help raise money for the Lumos Foundation. So what do you guys think? Should Ilvermorny remain only in the realm of fantastic beasts and fan fiction, or does the Wizarding World in America deserve more? I thought this was an interesting question, particularly concerning having an American author write it. (laughs) J.K. Rowling has a very good relationship with Stephen Fry, so... Maybe or no Stephen King, so maybe. Oh, right. uh, oh God! Oh, I wouldn't want to read that. <laughs> Stephen King could write a gory Ilvermorny story. Uh, I I just really admire this person for saying that they actually want someone to write stuff that they've already written about. Because personally, as a fan fiction writer myself, every time that Rowling talks about something that I wrote in my fix, I'm like, no, stop! You're ruining everything. <laughs> you copied everything. me, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. That's actually a really, really good point. So I, I really would admire um, it. 
No, that's a, that's amazing. I do too, and, and I'm glad you said that. That's very kind. I uh, would probably argue for a Native American writer. Um, if they're going to do an American tale of wizard and magic, you should do it uh, somebody who will be able to get it right. I think that there's a reason J.K. Rowling did not go further into the magic of North America um, after the initial stuff, and it's because she may have culturally appropriated a little bit. And uh, I think that somebody who will be able to mitigate that um, with all of the care in the world, um, you know, should be the person in charge of it. Uh, we should That's not, a great point. Yeah, we, sh- we should not kind of fumble around with that stuff uh, anymore. What could be cool is kind of like in a Tales of the Beetle the Bard style, like, you know, a bunch of short stories, maybe doing a bunch of short stories on the various wizarding uh, schools in the world and just kind mm-hmm. of a nice little clip. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would, I really, I, uh, I want to read the, uh, Mahatakura, uh, the, the, uh, colorful robes kind of, uh, you know, Japanese school. I really want to know about that. Well, if anyone out there wants to like each person from each continent, write a story about the school and put it together. That would be amazing. Just contact me. I'm so down. <laughs> yeah. Especially if they're students of like anthropology and can like really get it right historically. Oh, yeah. And Cultural. I think it would certainly shock the fandom if J.K. Rowling was like, all right, here comes another Wizarding World story and it's not written by me. It, that would shock the fandom. But she has kind of been dipping her toe into this idea, yeah. letting other people step into her world. Uh with Hogwarts Mystery, for example, um, with all these games, you know we've already we've already heard they're not canon, but they are coming and they are going to be official Harry Potter games. Um, and then, of course, with Cursed Child, letting yeah. other people head up the writing on it. I'm and happy about I, it. I, I, I yeah, and I understand that, and I think we're going to be seeing more of this, especially if there's ever a Harry Potter or Wizarding World TV series, which I think is just absolutely inevitable at this point. Right. Maybe that's what it'll be. I love Over that you morning TV. Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> I really, actually, really do want... Because you're right. There is a there is a mutual professional respect there, I think. Between. Yeah, they, they tweet each other. They did that event together. If we have just a separate category, like, this doesn't count as the main Harry Potter canon, I'm completely happy to have more stuff to allow more fans to make fan films and things like that. Like that would be amazing. It's great. And we just need to have a very clear separation. And that's what I didn't like about Cursed Child. We had another writer and then it's supposed to count with the same value as the original books, which I don't think should be that. Yeah. All right. Here's one more voicemail. Hi, MuggleCast. I'm Jennifer. I'm from Colorado. And I was just calling about something rather odd. I noticed in Hogwarts Mystery, and it's the fact that the Astronomy Tower unlocks at year six, with some obvious disregard to Dumbledore's safety. Well, that's all of my thoughts. I just thought that was odd, but thanks for doing the show. Love the podcast. Bye. Did they let you go into the Astronomy Tower at year six because of what happens to Dumbledore on that very tower in book six? Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> Probably, I wasn't. I wasn't under the impression that anything beyond year three was actually open. Is are you still on year three, Andy? I am. I'm near the end. Um, 
And then I don't know if year four is unlocked yet, but I'll keep you all posted. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, I think it's time release or something. But I know that you can go into like in one of the menus, it says like the friendships oh. you will make and you can see in advance, like can't unlock Tonks till year two, Bill till year three or the other way around. Yeah. So that must be ahead. she can see the classroom, but and it says year six. Year six. Interesting. I just that is get- a fun I just want to get curly hair. I'm still in first year and I want curly hair, but they don't have it for like the first well, five years. Oh, it's not one of those things where you can just lay down a hundred bucks and. I mean, I could, it. but like, <laughs> will you sponsor my curly hair? Well, you know what? I'm sure we could work something. This is what? The second time you've been on MuggleCast? Yeah, I'm sure we can work something. Crowdfund. Yeah. Crowdfund the, the curly I, hair fund. I did a very Andrew thing. I deleted the game like a week ago. I'm just yeah. not playing it. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not planning my day around Hogwarts Mystery where I have to play for 20 minutes and then, okay, you have to wait four hours and then you'll be able to play again. I'm not about that life. But Andy, it sounds like you're a power player. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a gamer at heart. I love games. And, uh, I mean, in between seeing like patients at the hospital, like I, 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 it's my guilty pleasure and I get so like defensive too. Like when people are walking behind me, I quickly put my phone away. Cause like, I don't want to be judged for it. But... <laughs> oh man, You're not the only person playing, uh, games on your phone in the hospital. I'm sure. I know, but then they're going to be like, Oh, what's that? And then like, I'm like, oh, so it's this Harry Potter. Everyone knows me as the Harry Potter geek at the hospital, oh. which I'm I'm very proud to hold that title. <laughs> but <laughs> there goes Andy playing his Harry Potter games again. <laughs> of course he is. He's the Harry Potter guy. Yeah. No, That's I, funny. But I, honestly, like, I just, I love the story. And like, so far, I mean, it's interesting to me. And it's, it's like, I can't not know what's going to happen. Yeah, I understand that. It just, it just yeah. occurred to me, though, like, year six for the Astronomy Tower this game isn't aligned with Harry's years at Hogwarts, so there's no reason it needs to be year six. It's probably just like, you know, a nod. A nod to the horrors that happened there. <laughs> All right, Eric, let's play some Quizage. Okay. Listen, I have to say, everybody rose to the challenge I presented last week with a particularly difficult Mother's Day-themed Quizage question. It was, which mother in the Harry Potter series is named after a Roman Catholic saint whose feast day is famously preceded by a gathering of witches. And this question, I forget how exactly it came to me, um, but the answer was Walburga Black, Sirius Black's mother. And uh, Walburga, uh, who is not a very nice woman, uh, is named for St. Walpurgis, um, who or Walperga, whose feast day is May 1st. And April 30th, I actually went down a little bit of a rabbit hole on a website called gothichorrorstories.com. And I'm going to read four paragraphs here about Walperga. Uh, here we go. In the Germanic countries of Central Europe, there is what is essentially a second Halloween, Walpurgis Night, or as it's often referred to in its German form, Walpurgisnacht, falling exactly six months from All Hallows' Eve. Many of the ancient cultures divided the year into just two seasons, summer and winter. The dividing line between the two seasons were Beltane and Samhain, with Beltane being one of the eight solar sabbats in the pagan calendar, its date based on the sun. So in Britain, Wales, and Scotland, and Ireland, 
Beltane often begins at sunset on April 30th and continues through May Day. Since the medieval era, at least, it was believed that the veil between the world of the living and the dead is thinnest on both Halloween and the night before Beltane. As a result, not just the ghosts of the dead, but fairies, shapeshifters, and in regards to Walpurgis, witches were at their most powerful and could easily or more easily cross between the two worlds. And this is a little bit on Walperga her, or Walburga herself. She was an English nun. She was born in Devonshire in 710 and sent as a missionary to Germany to start churches. She died in 777, the year AD. And the reason she became a saint was in no small part due to a strange occurrence on her burial. Her rock tomb began oozing a healing oil and it was declared a miracle. So much so that her body was then chopped up and sent all over France and Germany to spread the miracle. Oh my god. That's weird. <laughs> so that all that <laughs> all that stuff is packed into a single name choice by J.K. Rowling for a woman that we never properly meet in Harry Potter. And nor do we really want to meet. Nor do we want to meet her. But yeah, Walburga Black was the answer. So uh congratulations to Sean Brady. Megan, Zachary Hawkins, Sarah, a.k.a. Weensy, Jennifer St. George, and Andrea Fizor, uh, who sent in the correct answer. Again, this is a game that we play on uh, Twitter. So when you have an answer for us, just tweet at us and say, this week's Quizich answer is blank. Um, and I'm beginning to notice some familiar names, so I would encourage more people to get involved and participate in Quizich. And also the people who have stuck with us, thank you very much. Yeah, it's fun seeing the responses on Twitter. Mm -hmm. We don't play Quizage on Facebook, but we do have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash MuggleCast. Also, MuggleCast.com is where you can listen to all episodes dating back to 2005. Uh, we also have our Patreon, which keeps this show weekly, and you get a slew of benefits by supporting us at patreon.com slash MuggleCast, including the chance to be on the show today. Andy, thanks for, uh, I know you, you pulled an all-nighter here, so thanks for staying up. Hope you no, had a good time. A you did great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. 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 And I know you've been in some of our uh, Slug Club hangouts, too, I think. I, uh, I remember the first time I went in, my sound wasn't working. It was, like, devastating. But the second <laughs> time, I got the issue fixed. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad your sound is working now, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah a little more important this time. So good thing it got worked out. So lots of benefits. Nassim, thanks for joining us as well. Nice to have you on again. You did Thank great. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I love having your sweet, cute little voice on the show. Nassim's <laughs> oh, young, I'm the, too. I'm the hypable baby. That's You are. Oh, I was going to. There's some backstory yeah, here that yeah. I'm not great. <laughs> How old are you? Like 12? I'm 22. But I look oh, like okay. I'm 12. Off. So like. Uh, <laughs> I feel so old now. So McGonagall would not have let you participate in the Battle of Hogwarts. I hope. I mean, by sight, no. If she knew my <laughs> age, I would be allowed, I hope. 22. Yeah, 22. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, by the uh, way. Oh, speaking of, we do have next week's Quizits question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no worries. But it's a real quick one. Again, it's Battle of Hogwarts themed. And it is as follows. What does Harry see at Hogwarts that reminds him of where the lost diadem is hidden? It's a very specific moment when Harry has a uh, light bulb go off. And mm. yeah, it's actually really, 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 really cool. Mm -hmm. um, send your answers to us over on Twitter, of course. That domino effect that Nassim was talking about. So many things had to work out perfectly. <laughs> yeah. 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 
I just wanted to mention Nassim is podcasting from Paraguay today. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Ooh. How awesome. Yeah. Internet seems to work pretty well there. I feel like every time we talk, I'm in a different country because it just happens <laughs> that way. It's you kind do of get funny. around. You so jealous. Around. What are you doing there? I'm visiting my parents. I, I grew up here. So I'm oh. in college in the U.S., but I came here for summer. Possibly the first time we've had a host podcasting from South America. Yes. Yeah, probably. Yes, I'm the first. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you might be the first podcaster ever in all of South America. In all of time. No, that's really rude to all of the podcasters <laughs> yeah. who are doing a great probably. job in South America. Yeah, probably not true. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's what we have for everybody this week. Thank you all for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Andy. <laughs> and I'm Nassim. <laughs> <laughs> See everybody next time. Bye. 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 Bye.